Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today's guest is super, super exciting. I mean, he's been in the world of startups for many, many, many years. Uh, but in today's session, really, we're going to be covering a lot. We're going to be covering building, scaling, creating new categories. You know, what does it look like when you start to see traction, uh, massive exits, uh, you name it. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Ross Burdorf. Welcome to the show. Hey, great. Thanks for having me, Alejandro. I'm super excited about today and, and super excited about your show. I listened to it. Oh, well, so glad to hear. So originally you were born in Lincoln, Nebraska. So how was life there? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, with this year, I'm down in Austin, Texas right now. And it feels like I'm back in Lincoln, Nebraska with all the, the snow and ice we got. So I froze my butt off in Lincoln. That's what happened. But <laughs> I got down to, to Austin, Texas and went to the university as quick as I could. Right. And and obviously, you know, your parents were definitely a great source of drive for you. I mean, they were like very much pushing you to to even get, you know, your 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 paydays, you know, removing snow and cutting yeah. wood. So, yeah, I'm sure that made a difference for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my both of my parents were, you know, they had and it's funny, you know, we talk about my business, uh, Zen business. Both of my parents had side gigs. I mean, they had regular jobs, but they had side gigs. And that seems to be even more popular right now with the pandemic is side gigs. So when I was going to school, you know, I'd shovel snow as a kid when I was in, you know, in, in, in middle school. And then later on when I was in university, I'd chop wood. So I was always an entrepreneur. My father was always an entrepreneur doing side gigs, whether it be, you know, he had a dump truck and had a salvage business in addition to his, his, uh, his regular business. And my mother hung wallpaper. They also did home renovation. So, you know, from an early age, it was always, um, you know, to have a side hustle and be an entrepreneur. And I jumped in early in my career. That's amazing. And also you jumped into computers very early on. So what, what got you into computers? You know, I, I mean, I, I was just, they were just coming out and, uh, you know, it just, it was just something I was enticed by, excited by. And, you know, I went to uh, University of Texas, got my CS degree. I just think it was maybe the novelty of it. And, um, you know, it's certainly been, I, I think I picked the right field. It wasn't obvious when I 
when I started it out. It's certainly, you know, computers were, were coming on and it was important, but, you know, who would have thought that it, it impacted the world the way it has? Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, right away after after actually your you're getting your degree, you went at it. You went at it, but not as an entrepreneur yet. You went at it in the world of uh, corporate. So, uh, so, so, how was that for you? I mean, doing a little bit of corporate America. Yeah, it was. It was good. You know, I'll tell you what. It really was a pivotal uh, point for me. I went to work. I actually interned at Data General while I was going to the University of Texas, and Data General was a you know, a microcomputer company like Digital Equipment Corporations. And I remember they had this huge, huge year, you know, they hit a, you know, a billion dollars in revenue. And, you know, six months later, there was an economic downturn and everyone got laid off or a lot of people got laid off in the, the facility that we were working on, except for me. <laughs> you know, I was one of the people that didn't get laid off. And it was because I was a low paid intern that was, adding a lot of value to the company. And it really impressed upon me at that time that, you know, there's really not any difference in risk with respect to working for a big company or working for somebody else and being an entrepreneur or taking, you know, your risk into your own hands. And so I really had this at a very, I think, pivotal age that, you know, man, <laughs> this big company thing is there's no guarantees. And I, I guess I'd rather go out on my own and take more risk uh, with my career. And that's literally what I did from that point on. I went, went on to, went to Tandem Computers. That was my first job out of school. I needed a job and, you know, had a family. Then uh, worked at Tandem, got a great bunch of experience. It was, it was really an internal startup at Tandem. We built the first fault-tolerant Unix machine. Now played a part in that. And then after that, I went to HAL Computer Systems, which was a, my first real startup. And we built, that was the last computer company from the ground up, HAL Computer Systems. We built the first fault-tolerant uh, Spark chip. The Spark chip was what was in all the Sun Microsystems boxes, or that computer and that company got bought by Fujitsu. And, you know, I was off to the races as an entrepreneur after HAL I went to Excite.com. That was a startup. I was in the, you know, that was the whole internet boom. I was in the first uh, few people at Excite.com. After Excite.com, I went to a series <laughs> during the bust. Your experience is amazing here, Ross, because I'm sure that going through the dot-com bust, you know, there's so many people that are probably listening to us now and they don't even know what that is. And, you know, we're coming out of this market that we've been for 14 years, like celebrating, you know, returns after returns. I mean, what were some of the lessons that you got from from seeing that catastrophic environment of, of companies going, you know, down the toilet, like one after the other? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it made, uh, you know, a heck of a, you know, if it wasn't radio, I'd say another word, but it made a heck of a impression upon me, the bust, because, um, I had 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 made a fortune at excite.com you know $4 options that were you know over $300 at the peak of the market and I thought it was a great idea because we were riding so high you know well I'll invest that in Sun Microsystems and Cisco and at the time you know Cisco was the largest cap company in the world and boom it all kept tumbling down so I lost a lot of money 
uh, and as a result, that really made made makes heck of an impression on you. Made me more conservative in my approach moving forward. And what it taught me is that you know there has to be real value. You have to be building real value for your customer. You have to have real retention. Uh, you know, you have to build a product that your customer wants. Now, certainly at Excite.com, we did we did do that, but a lot of the other companies that were surrounding it, the market viewed it as a land grab. It didn't matter if you made money, it just mattered that you were capturing eyeballs. And, you know, ultimately eyeballs don't necessarily uh, pay the bills. You have to have a, a real business model underneath it. And so I think what I walked out of from that point of from from that part of my career is, you know, and and it's made me, I would say, I'm certainly not risk averse. I mean, as a startup and an entrepreneur, risk is one of the things that you have to spend is how you outcompete the incumbents. But uh, I'm also very focused on unit economics, a sustainable business, building real value for customers or or like I always say, you can't. You can't lie to your customers. Yeah, no, 100%. After this experience for you too, Ross, I mean, you did a couple of failed uh, enterprise startups that I'm sure that really gave you uh, a lot of a lot of lessons and experiences on, and also on your view on how you wanted to execute and do things well and, and, and avoid, you know, not doing perhaps the mistakes that you had seen in the past. But, but that was the segue that really got you into into being the founding CTO of at this small company at the time called HomeAway. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. So I was the founding CTO at, at HomeAway. And, you know, we had created, um, you know, we created the category leader, the unicorn for the vacation rental uh, segment, you know, did 28 plus acquisitions, raised a 450 plus million dollars, did an IPO, and then ultimately sold it to Expedia for $3.9 billion. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, it's really something to go through, create a unicorn like that and go through that experience. And I think my career up to that point had built upon that. I mean, at Excite.com, we did lots of acquisitions, so I knew how to do those. Uh, but nothing, you know, prepares you for the fantastic growth we had at HomeAway. And here again, it, you know, it comes back to one of my tenants. Great business model always returned, you know, uh, for all of our investors, always was a profitable business, maintained the growth even past the IPO, really was a standout uh, business from a business model point of view. And it also, you know, just delivered so much value, not only for the owners of the vacation rentals that rented them out, but the travelers, it was just a fantastic and great experience. So, Again, I always focus on the customer experience and, and building that value. And, you know, everything else works out as long as you've got a sound business model underneath it. So how does a remarkable customer experience look like? I mean, what, what does it look like from a 30,000 foot view? It's not so much of a, how does it look like? It's, it's more to me is what are your customers telling you, right? So, so it's having a feedback loop with your customers that are where where they're giving you the feedback i like this i don't like this this is this is no good this is great i want more of this so it's of course you want to start out with all the best practices and the 
the best UI and a, a great user experience, but it's about value. In the case of HomeAway, early on with a lot of the companies we acquired, they didn't have great user interfaces. And when we put them together, we were struggling to put all these companies together. But it was such a fantastic traveler experience once they stayed in a vacation rental. It was like they couldn't ha- they didn't have access to these properties. So the value was so tremendous uh, and the experience was such a great experience for them and their family that we had, you know, uh, over the top NPS after net promoter score after travelers would stay in the house. So so that was the value. And then if you, you, you know, you think about a, a tremendous customer experience for the people that owned the vacation rentals, now all of a sudden they were making more money than they ever had because of the distribution that we provided and making income off of these vacation rental houses. So again, it was that overwhelming value and ultimately coupled with a great user interface and, a, and great customer support. All of those things, you know, combined to make, uh, you know, a, a tremendous user experience, customer experience. So what was what was that point like when, you know, the the deal is inked and HomeAway is sold for three point nine billion and you're able to look back and to reflect and and to say, uh, you know, I was part of this thing. You know, I, I actually engineered you know the, the 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 first you know product and you know the way that we were engaging with customers i mean that must be very fulfilling yes i mean it was i mean i think that was the you know we'd done the ipo before then so we'd had lots of peak experiences but i really do think that that was you know the ultimate to go full cycle was to sell it to expedia you know expedia came out and said this was the best acquisition i think it it, it, it is still to, to this day generating a tremendous amount of uh, money and revenue for them. It's kind of like a frog in a pot of water, hot water. You know, you don't you don't know it until it happens. It's a lot easier to look back on it and, and see it as a peak experience. It's just fabulous to be able to to build something like that and to see all of the trade offs and the decisions you made, uh, you know, ultimately come out for in a great outcome for all of the employees and all of the teammates and all the investors. I think that's uh, very rewarding and, and uh, you know, ultimately what I'm always trying to achieve is, is that outcome. So, so in this case with home away, you were exposed to acquisitions. I mean, you guys did their 28 acquisitions. Uh, now you've even done, you know, a bunch of acquisitions already with same business. Uh, and we're going to be talking about now about same business. Uh, but what did you get from, because it seems that now you're even doing it, you know, as same business. So, so how do you see acquisitions as a, as a tool or a strategy to grow faster? At, at HomeAway and also at Zen Business, you know, acquisitions are really a way, again, to, to accelerate growth. So you can, either do it organically or you can buy companies that also have some good organic position or you know customer base or technology so it really is just the this way to accelerate and it's not for the the faint hearted and the fact that you know I brought together a lot of the home away as I said, the homeway mafia a lot of my old colleagues some of which I've worked many of which I've worked for decades 
we can do these acquisitions easier uh, than other companies because of our size. Big companies can't do acquisitions as effectively as we can. And so it, what it really is, is, as you said, it's really just about acceleration and, you know, where the, the, the sum is, is, is bigger than, than the parts. And so you get this accretive effect of doing acquisitions. It just, it accelerates you. Even, you know, just the IP and the knowledge and the skill set and the team members, it all accelerates you, let alone any revenue benefit or marketing benefit that you, that you get from it. We've done three acquisitions uh, so far. Two of them have really been about organic position or SEO. And the, uh, the uh, third one was platform. We bought Joust, which was a, a fintech challenger bank platform that embeds all of the fintech solutions for our platform. It would have taken us years and years to develop that. And we acquired it and, you know, we've already launched it in Q1. We've already launched our rebranded, it's called Send Business Money as part of our platform. So that's what it does. I mean, it accelerated us by a couple of years. Nice. So then let's talk about Send Business because after the acquisition of HomeAway, rather than taking, you know, time off or retiring or whatever people would do after, you know, experiencing a big transaction like that, you went at it again. Uh, you went at it with same business. So tell us about how you really came up with this idea and what was that process of, of giving birth to it? Yeah, Alejandro, I wish I could say it was some genius idea that I came up with and everything worked out perfectly. You know, my plan was to take a year off and cool down. I made it 10 months. And these two, you know, but what I, you know, bloodthirsty startup guys, uh, entrepreneurs kept pestering me to take a look at their business. At the time, it was the previous business to Zen Business. I took a look at it and I said, well, guys, you know, this is uh, something that 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 seems interesting. You know, I'll come on as a CEO and put in an investment. And, you know, we really recreated the founding team. I brought on a couple of my friends from HomeAway and we started up Zen Business at that at that time. Uh, these guys were already in the formation space, but they were focused on law offices and white labeling. We pivoted at that point and really started going after formation business. And we looked at the main uh, competitor out there, LegalZoom, which is a great business, but much in the same way that Airbnb disrupted HomeAway, uh, and I was on the other end of that, I could see that there was this huge incumbent in the formation space. We could do a much better job, and we disrupted uh, or, you know, or making a dent in the way formations are done and the way small businesses are created and how they're managed. You know, as I say, we, you know, Zen Business does all the back office, headache-inducing paperwork. Yeah, we make your business worry-free. So we we make it zen for you as a small business or a micro business or solopreneur. We handle all, everything you need to get your business up and running and going and manage all of that for you. So, you know, here again, it's that same theme, Alejandro, is, you know, just delivering more value than you're asked to deliver. We have a super high MPS, super high reviews, and just a great product for great a great price. It's the it's the same theme throughout my whole career is 
deliver value. And, and we always laugh at, at work. I can remember laying in bed, praying for my first customer to come up, please buy our <laughs> service, please. Right. And, you know, we had, you know, five, six different websites trying different value propositions. And, and, you know, we got traction with one and that's really what we, we've been going after ever since is, uh, you know, continuing to, to build value for our customers and, and they love us for it. And, and uh, we love them for being our customers. And how has it been for you to this transition? Because obviously in HomeAway, it was more like the CTO, the engineering, the technical side. I'm sure that you were obviously involved with business, but here we're talking about transitioning from CTO to CEO. I mean, it's, it's different responsibilities and perhaps different ways of, of analyzing things. So, so how, how has it been for you, that transition? Yeah, you know, Alejandro, that's a I get answered that question, and, and I, you know, for me, the I'll tell you the the punchline is I should have done it years ago. You know, everyone says I'm doing a pretty good job. I mean, I think we're, you know, we just raised a big round. Uh, you know, we're doing fantastic on growth. We're having explosive growth and really building out a great product in the team. Um, you know, for me, it's when I you know, left as the CTO of, of HomeAway and it got acquired, it was like, well, what do you do next? You know, I couldn't retire. I was too young. I, I, I enjoy work. I enjoy, you know, giving back to the world. And one of the things that, that I do as an entrepreneur is create jobs, create value and, 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 and keep the, the, the cart going. So um, I need to add value. What do I do next? And I think it was for me, it was the CEO and and much like, you know, this is really full circle and and just like at HomeAway, you know, I I bought vacation rentals. I I ran or I drank my own champagne, as we used to say, not eat our own dog food. I had vacation rentals. And and one of the things we surveyed our customers and we said we asked them you know, why did you start a business right now? And, and the, the lion's share, the majority of them came out and said, you know, I want to change my life. You know, I want to change my trajectory. I want to change my life. And that's why I came to Zen Business to start a business. I want to be my own boss. And we asked what held you back. And they said they were insecure, fear. They didn't know how to do it. They were, you know, uh, uh, worried that they do it something wrong. And I think that's the same thing for me, you know, anyone that, you know, what held me back from being a, a CTO to CEO is, is fear, but it's, it's not rational fear. It's, can I do this? Can I raise money? You know, am I going to be able to lead all these people so far? So good. Uh, it's the same path that all of our entrepreneurs have to take. We're here to help them. We're here to make them successful. You know, for me, it was easy transition in hindsight. I was a product CTO, very technical, but also very business and product focused. Uh, I think that there's a lot of CTOs becoming CEOs in big companies. I look at uh, one of our competitors, uh, GoDaddy has a CTO that's gone CEO. It's a natural for us. We're very data oriented. We're very technical company. We're a very product oriented company. Uh, so you know, we've got good technology, good product, and uh, very buttoned-up data. 
Amazing. So in terms of capital, I mean, you were alluding to it. How much capital have you guys raised to date? Uh, it's coming in that first, you know, the first bunch of it. You know, I begged, borrowed, steal, put in my own money at the seed round. But right now we're at, uh, you know, 70 plus million we've raised. The last first round was around 15. The second round was uh, 55, pulled in another million, 56. So in that, that 70 million range we've raised so far. Got it. And does it get easier over time? Does it get easier? Oh my God. This is the, you know, raising money is really tough. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if it gets easier or harder or it's the same. You know, I thought, my goodness, we should be able to raise money in a few months. It always seems like it takes six months to raise money and to do the, the close. As, uh, you know, my lovely wife, Paula, you know, I'd get phone calls and, and, you know, sometimes I'd be frustrated and say, oh, my God, they're asking this question and that question. And it's like, when's this going to end? Uh, and she asked the question. She said, well, how much money are they giving you? And I'd say some enormous money. And she, and she turned to me and she said, they get to ask any damn question they want if they're giving you that much money. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, think I am maybe not the norm for entrepreneurs. I absolutely, you know, uh, you know, love venture capitalists. It's, you know, it is the advantage that the U.S. has in the world market. Uh, my whole career has been based on venture capital. Uh, uh, my experience with venture capitalists is that they're great. I've always had great investors. And so, you know, um, it's uh, I would just tell people, you know, get out there, pitch, get your story out. It's much the same. It's much the same thread that I've been uh, saying this whole time is, you know, you can't lie to your customers. You can't lie to investors. You know, get your story out there and tell it to investors. They'll tell you exactly what's wrong with it. Uh, we have, I mean, you know, I've changed the course of the company based on feedback from investors prior to it even getting out to customers. I mean, what could be better better than that? And so, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, get out there with your customers, be focused on making revenue, get out there with investors early and uh, be telling your story and you'll get feedback. And, and uh, you know, the more feedback and the more value you bring, the easier it is to raise money. So so it's hard to raise money. I mean, just the process of it is hard to raise money. Now we're doing so well. I think we're kind of over the hump, knock on wood. Hopefully this next round will be uh, easier, knock on wood. But I say that about every round. I hear you. Well, obviously different rounds, different expectations, but but it's not like selling a dream, like you're doing more at the seed stage. You know, it's more like numbers and and historicals and things like that. But one thing that I wanted to ask you, so that the people that are you know listening, you know, get a good idea, is in terms of scope and and size. I mean, anything that you can share on how big same business is, maybe number of employees or anything that you feel comfortable with. Yeah, I mean, we're over 200 employees. We've got well over 110,000 customers and formations. We do thousands and thousands and thousands of new customers on a monthly uh, basis. We don't publish our revenue numbers, but we do 
pretty good sized revenue numbers. Uh, even even right now, we have a super high NPS. We have a four point eight out of five on uh, Trust Pilot. Very nice. So then, so then, in terms of you know, one of the questions that I typically ask the the guests that come on the show is, if I was to put you in a time machine, Ross, and I take you back, I take you back in time to that moment that, you know, maybe you were thinking about launching a business, that, that younger, that younger Ross, and you had the opportunity of giving one piece of business advice to your younger self. What would that be and why before launching a company based on what you know now? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's fear is a liar. Fear is a liar. I mean, you just, you know, you just have to jump in and and go for it. I mean, you know, Andra, you're a entrepreneur. I'll push it back on you. I mean, the difference I think between uh, successful ones and not successful ones is that successful ones are are willing to take the leap, and they're also willing to listen to the truth. You know, they don't they don't shy away from the truth. They they go for it like a hot flame. What are the problems with the business? What are the issues? What are we hearing? You know, how do we fix this? Where's the opportunity? And and I think uh, early on for me, it's it's just this. You know, fear is a liar. Go for it. I love it. I mean, I'm right there with you. I find that you know the the big difference between the people that succeed and the people that fail is taking action. And when there is a let's say fear, that's the opportunity for growth. And that's the problem of of being in corporate America, nothing, you know, wrong against it. You know, it's just, you know, you get paid a nice salary to get intellectually stuck because when you have fear, you learn so fast. It's unbelievable. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so Ross, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? I think it's just it's send me a note. It's Ross, R-O-S-S, at zenbusiness.com. Amazing. Well, Ross, thank you so much for being on the Deal Maker Show today. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.